Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. And welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcasts. I am Hal Schwartz. And as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. Well, Flynn, tonight we've got a lot to talk about. First up, the latest single from Only the Strong Survive, which is Night Shift. We also have Bruce's appearance with The Killers. And finally, an amazing new archive. Yes, we have a lot to discuss tonight. But uh, before we get into it, I have to do a little uh, fat correction on myself. Uh, The name of the reporter who wrote the book called Carol that Bruce referenced or read when he was recording or preparing to record Nebraska about Charlie Starkweather is Nanette Beaver. And so I have to go on record to correct that. And thank to thanks to my friend Mark Strickers for for pointing that out. Well, we certainly want to get the facts accurate. I didn't know, although it did seem strange to me. I thought you said Annette Penning. I was like, I, 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 are there two of them? <laughs> well, I think I was going with Nanette uh, Bennett, but uh, I guess I just didn't quite get there. It's Nanette Beaver, and uh, apologies to to Miss Beaver. All right. I, I think you did the right thing there, correcting the record. And with that, let's move on to our topics tonight. As mentioned, first up, we have the latest single from Only the Strong Survive, which is the Commodore's Night Shift. And I'll let you go first. What's your opinion on this one? Well, I was a big fan of the original. It, it was a top 10 hit in the in late winter, early spring of 1985. So this was actually the one I was most looking forward to when, when I saw the track listing. And Bruce does a pretty faithful version uh, to, to the original. His vocals his vocals do add quite a bit. He, he does capture that kind of the missing and the uh the, the mourning of of those two legends uh, marvin gay and, and jackie wilson so i i think his voice a- adds a lot to it even if the the music is pretty much a, a pretty faithful uh arrangement i know he's very proud of his vocals on this project as he said in the intro and and here he has the right to be because i i think he sounds fabulous on this track and like you this is a song that i do like and i'm familiar with so I enjoy his take of it. Now, I think overall, we should probably wait and have the broader discussion when we get the entire album. And of course, we're going to do a show as soon as it's released. I want to hear the whole thing in context, because there has been a lot of discussion about how close his version of Night Shift is to the original and how close Do I Love You is to that original. And before we get into that whole and we're we're seeing this a lot, the karaoke Bruce idea. I want to hear the whole album and be able to take it all in because I don't know that that stuff is fair at the moment. What's your impression of that? Yeah, I think we need we need to hear the whole album in context and, and, and in sequence before we make any any real judgments on that. It's going to be, you're right, the, the, the first two singles have been pretty faithful to to the original. So he's really not adding much in terms of that, but uh, his his vocals certainly uh, are what he brings to the table. And so far, I'm, I'm really digging those. But yeah, let's hear the whole thing before we uh, totally uh, criticize it. 
The other thing to mention is the video. And this time I did listen to the song before I heard the video three times, in fact. So I was digging the song and then I saw the video. And, and I got to say, I'm not sure conceptually with the video what was happening. First off, the, the video starts and Bruce is just standing there awkwardly for what seems like 10 or 12 seconds before he starts singing. I, I didn't really get that at all. And in fact, it reminded me when I was in high school and we did TV production and someone would be waiting on camera for their cue and they'd be, oh, and start going. It, it just, it's, it struck me as weird. And then the visuals of the video, I get what they're trying to do. They want to energize them and surround them with younger people. But it is a, a bit weird to me that the backing track for the song is actually Ron Aniello on every instrument. And then they layered on horns and backing vocals. And in the video itself, we see him surrounded by really what is the hippest band we've ever seen him play with. And it is a striking visual, but as far as the track goes, it's it's not really a true visual. Okay, well, that would only bother you if if you knew if you knew that Aniello was playing every instrument on, on the studio cut, and obviously they're lip syncing the studio cut in in this video. So it it doesn't bother me uh, as much. Um, you know, yeah, you're right. It looks like he looks like he's playing with a bunch of Brooklyn hipsters, <laughs> but after uh, after a couple weeks from now. After we get the third video or third single, which I'm sure is coming, I'd be surprised if there's not. I'm never going to watch these videos again, so they're not really uh, they're not really making an impact on on me in, in any way at this point. I'm not I'm barely thinking about them to be honest. Yeah, I agree, and I just I I thought it was funny because I don't know if they're trying to appeal to a younger audience. I don't think that that's going to happen with Bruce <laughs> no. at 73 or with this material. But it, it did just strike me now. And as you pointed out last time, you can't have Ronnie Aniello, who only has two hands, playing every instrument in the video. So I get why they did it. But it, it did seem to be presenting a picture of the project to people <laughs> who don't know. If you don't know that Ron Aniello played every instrument, you're thinking, wow, look at how hip Bruce is these days. And look at this band he's playing with. And, and they, in fact, are not playing on the track. <laughs> Well, yeah, but it's not like they're when Bruce goes on tour, it's people are going to know it's Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, unless by some miracle they actually pull some shows together this fall for to promote this album, which at this point I, I don't think is very likely. So it's just a video that I'll never watch again after about uh, November 11th. So <laughs> fair enough. Be. And with that, let's move on to our next topic tonight. And that, of course, is Bruce with the Killers. Speaking of playing with younger bands. <laughs> And we have a special guest to join us tonight to discuss that appearance. Flynn, would you like to introduce him? Sure. And here tonight to discuss Bruce's appearance with the Killers is Brandon Shaw, a Backstreet's contributor who actually wrote the review for the Backstreet's.com website about the show. Brandon Shaw, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. You finally Thanks. made it. It's uh, it's a bucket list. You know, it's... Uh... My two bucket list items that are left are uh, having getting Bruce on the podcast for you guys and me coming on the podcast. We're getting one of two tonight. Okay, well, I, if you can help pull off the second one, that would be much appreciated. <laughs> one thing at a time. Exactly, exactly. So you were at the show. Can you kind of, to steal Hal's phrase, set the scene for us? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's always funny because people sort of say he seems like this or he sounds like this, and I usually cringe, but... Um, 
it is, I think, very reasonable in this case, including for those who've seen photos and videos and write-ups and have talked to folks who were there that night, it is very reasonable to say that he is jonesing for the stage. I mean, he looks like he came out tour ready. You know, I think you were there, Flynn, in December at that Steve Earle show. And, you know, there was a little bit of that there, and certainly that was felt. But there was nothing like the kind of usual guest appearance where he comes out and he looks like he's ready to play a song and leave. It was very much, you know, he did that half a smirk, as I wrote in my write-up for Backstreets. You know, he knew what was coming. It was evening. It was 1-2, and Badlands was out of the gate. So I think... You know, from the minute we spotted Kevin on the side of the stage, we knew he was there to the minute they left. This was a tour ready Bruce through and through. He really did look fit. And I thought he sounded really strong vocally. I wonder if he's already prepping for the tour. And for anyone who had any questions, it definitely seems like he'll be ready to go in 2023. Right. I think that's right. And I think. You know, I should have mentioned this at the top, but speaking of, you know, being tour ready and him being in, in tour ready mode, of course, he brought Jake with him, which, you know, A, was was incredible, despite, you know, there were a couple of missteps at the beginning of both the, the Badlands and the Born to Run solo. But, um, you know, it's as as has been pointed out a few times, you know, it's very rare for him to show up at these other artists with another member um, of the band. I think someone pointed out and um i'm sure folks will check this but i think the last time that happened was in 2017 with mccartney which was when he showed with steven um but that that was that was that, that was yet another layer that showed a that this was a very special and unique night and b you know that he's 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 testing out being back with that band on that stage and i think that that was uh, that was also very cool now brandon flowers the lead singer of the killers did say that uh, he they were nervous all all evening because the boss was there and did you notice any of that in their performance during their, the main set? Yeah, that's a good question. I, mean, I saw the Killers three weeks earlier in L.A. Um, it is certainly true that there was an extra pop in the room in the garden that night. I think if there was nervous, which is reasonable and fair, it came out in an extra energy in a good way. Um, in no way were they off, you know, musically or vocally or otherwise. You know, I think there was there was an extra energy. It was the garden. Everyone knew there was a special guest in the room. You know, there was rumors going around whether Bruce would show up or not. Obviously, the, the Kristen Ann Carr benefit was that night. A lot of people thought, you know, he might go to one first or the other first. Of course, it turns out he wasn't at the, the Kristen Ann Carr show. Um, but but the whole night, the guy next to me kept saying, you know, I think your confidence was misplaced. Bruce isn't showing tonight. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I got quite a smile when they hit the stage for the encore. <laughs> um but uh, no, I think yeah, you're right. Brandon Flowers said at the um, at the very beginning of the encore, he came to the stage and he said, "Everyone gets a little nervous when their boss is in town." And me and my friends have been sweating bullets all night because uh, the boss is here. So please welcome Bruce Springsteen. And um, that's about as good of a way to kick off another band's encore as there gets, I think. <laughs> it's funny because, and I, and here's an admission by me: I really have never been the biggest Killers fan. I understand they're huge. There are certain songs that I like, but I just can't fully get into them. But I, I will say I saw something in the performances with Bruce. Well, first of all, Brandon Flowers was acting like one of us. <laughs> we were up there with Bruce, which is I, I think that's very endearing to see, for one thing, because he is a mega star himself. And they're a very solid band. Maybe I need to take another look at them. And certainly we, we want to hear your thoughts on Dustland. We talked about it on the show. When that one first came out, it didn't really grab me. But certainly live in front of 20,000 people, I think the impact was much larger. Talk about the second song that they played together. 
Yeah, it's, it's, that's a good that's a good note. I mean, look, I don't I didn't think when the song came out, I think it was in June of last year, the studio version. Uh, you know, I didn't think it was that strong. I mean, it's enjoyable. It's a fun listen twice or three times. That's not a song I was at that time going to go back and listen to over and over and over again. I think this arrangement was fun just in the sense that, you know, they had that elongated pause after Brandon does his verse and Bruce does his piece. And then before the full band cut kicks in, there's like a five to seven second pause where they join hands and then they let the band kick in. I mean, that is the perfect song in the second spot. You're coming off of Badlands. Everyone's sort of in disbelief. And then there's this sort of slow melodic intro and then they get together physically um, and then the full band kicks in. That was so I, I think the song last Saturday evening was was an absolute A plus. Yeah, actually, I was uh, based on the three songs they played. I was actually most excited to hear or to see via the magic of YouTube uh, Dustland Fairytale, because I unlike you guys, it really did grab me from from the get go. I, and I really enjoyed listening to it. It was actually one of my warm up songs before my runs last summer. So I really in, in, enjoyed that one. Yeah, I thought um, I thought it was I thought it really came across. Well, you know, there was a lot of speculation if he was there, what were they going to do? And I think most people thought, you know, if we were lucky enough to get Bruce, that he would play a singular song and that would be it. So I think, you know, like I said, coming off of Badlands, we already know something special. You go into dust. <laughs> you're in for uh, you're in for a, a very special night. Yeah, I was surprised. I was following along. I was at Eddie Vedder's Ohana Festival while this was happening. And I had heard they had soundcheck Badlands and obviously they were going to do Dustland. And then I saw that they did Born to Run. And I was like, that is huge, especially on their stage. And it obviously was a, a very big moment for Brandon and the Killers. But talk about the crowd response to that. Uh, that's the first time Born to Run has been played with a band since... 2017 in Australia, and people have not seen that in a while. Right, I think that's right. I mean, my initial reaction leaving the arena last Saturday was, you know, you got to, you know, you guys talk about this on the podcast a lot, but there's 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 audience segments, right? There's people that go only for Bruce, hoping he'll show up. There's people that go, you know, casually knowing Bruce songs, whether it be a Bruce show or otherwise. There's people that go and they know ten songs. You know, I don't know that an overwhelming majority of that arena knew every word to Badlands. An overwhelming majority knew every word to "Born to Run," certainly, and I think um, you know that that's, that's about as good of a way to close a, sh a show as you can get, as we as we know. And as I wrote in my review, you know, it's th that's the second best way to close a rock show. Of course, the, the best way would be the E Street Band doing it with the lights up. But um, no, it was it was as good as it gets. And and like I said, even watching him sort of kick physically push Jake into the spotlight for the solo was sort of fun to watch. Um, and you can tell, it, it, particularly during moments like that, that he's ready to be back in a full arena with that band on that stage. All right. This, maybe this kind of piggybacks on what Hal is asking. But what was the reaction to, to Bruce being there from 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 the Killers fans? I can't imagine what the crossover would be about who's who's a big Bruce fan, who's also a big Killers fan and vice versa. So I'm curious as to what kind of reaction there was in the arena. Yeah, I think, you know, I talked to people before the show sort of about the speculation that he was going to be there. You know, obviously, I, as I wrote in my review, someone had mentioned to me a few days earlier that he was for sure going to be there. I talked to people after the show. I think I think there were there was that cross section in there. There were people that, that liked Bruce and that liked the killers. And I think there were a couple people there that were there for a singular reason <laughs> was to either see Bruce because they know he was going to be there or uh, or that hope that Bruce would be there. And I think the killers fans are. I think that's a good question because I think they're they're excited to see Dustland with an extra pop because Bruce is there and they're excited for maybe one more. 
Um, but it is true. I mean, there were different receptions that, you know, there, there's clearly not all the Killers fans knew the, the humming coda to Badlands. You know, you're not at a Bruce show. And that, that, that is true. It's a, different, it's a different reception. It doesn't make it a worse reception, but it is a different reception. Yeah, I, I find the whole thing fascinating that right after Born to Run, they just said goodnight and walked off. But what a compliment to Bruce that they didn't even stay and play one more song on their own. It is their stage. What, what did that feel like? Were people surprised that the show ended with Born to Run? I think that there, there weren't enough. It wasn't enough of a Springsteen audience to have the astute reaction that you're both having, if that makes sense. And I don't mean to sound sort of pejorative. Obviously, there's are smart people and they're smart Killers fans, but they don't have the recognition that this was an incredibly unusual thing that had just happened. You know, I, I think that I think that there was an excitement that Bruce was there and there was an excitement that Born to Run was there. I, I don't think there was a, a shock at how rare it is that he plays with other people. But in a sense, there's got to be Killers fans out there. I don't know what they normally play in their encores. I know that they don't play Badlands and Born to Run. There Are there songs that got left out that a Killers fan would be saying, oh, I can't believe we missed that one tonight if they didn't care that Bruce was there? Yeah, that's a really good question because um, the songs were not left out. They were moved in a totally different order. You know, they play in... Again, no disrespect to the Killers who put on an incredible live performance, but they play nearly an identical set every night. If you look at the set list online, and again, I was there three weeks earlier in L.A., but uh, Smile Like You Mean It is usually the beginning of the encore, the end of the main set, and Mr. Brightside, 98% of the time, is either the last song or the second to last song. Mr. Brightside was in, I think, the second or third spot of the night, um, and Smile Like You Mean It was in the fourth or fifth uh, uh, spot in the set. So. Certainly they moved things around knowing that this was uh, that this was coming later in the night. That's interesting. Now, this is more of an observation than a, than a question, but it seems like this is kind of a mirror image of when Bruce joined McCartney earlier in the summer. Back then, Paul McCartney was the idol and Bruce was the fawning fan. And in this situation, Bruce was the idol and Brandon Flowers was the fawning fan and he just he just looked so giddy when when he was playing with Bruce and I have to imagine that uh that must was it infectious for the rest of the band or were they just kind of nonchalant about it no I think especially if you watch those videos I mean I apologize to the band members I don't know all of the killers band members besides Brandon Flowers but you can see the drummer sort of excited even the singers in the back there sort of that he high fives them I think Bruce on the way out you know certainly I think it was infectious and certainly they give the physical impression of people who recognize what they're experiencing and afterwards what they just experienced. So in the way that I think the, the audience in general was excited and had a, a recognition of excitement, if not a recognition of how unique and special this was, the band certainly had a, an enormous physical reaction and recognition of how unique and special uh, it was that Bruce was there. There was that moment, uh, there's a photo of it. I think it's during Born to Run. Bruce is singing and Brandon Flowers is pretty much like gasping, you can barely believe it. And it's just, it, it's a wonderful moment uh, and great for him. Uh, very happy that that happened for them because th that, it really did seem to complete his wildest dreams. Is that the picture that has him covering his mouth? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that really, that, that captures, <laughs> I think, everything about this performance, at least from the, from Brandon's, Brandon Flowers' point of view, just that kind of, uh, that that giddiness that oh my god I can't believe this is happening and actually it's it was when I was watching at least Dustland on YouTube that got me more that gave me chills seeing his reaction 
to playing with Bruce gave me more chills actually than than seeing them play Badlands and Born to Run. Yeah, I think that, that that makes sense. I think, I mean, the whole night, you know, as you said, I mean, the most fun thing of this entire evening was not the song selection. It was not Bruce's appearance. It was not Jake's appearance as unique and special as all those things were. But watching Brandon Flowers is just incredible. As you said at the beginning, how, you know, it is all of us in the mirror at whatever, however you're, you know, as I wrote in my review, you know, 15 years old, you know, I mean, he practically raps the second verse of Badlands you know, and he gets a, a line wrong. I think he says, "Working in the working in the fields, and you'll get your back burned." Or something like the lyric is a little off because he's so excited. He's like rapping the lyrics. <laughs> um, that's a I've watched it at least fifty times on YouTube. It is one of the most fun videos of the last certainly six or nine months in in Bruce Land. Oh, oh yeah, and and really great to see. As we were saying, Bruce looked so good and sounded so good. There have been some questions. He's been gone from the rock scene for a long time. Now, a lot of that seems to have been dispelled this summer. He sounded great with Chris Martin. He sounded great with McCartney both times. He sounded great here. So as we said, it looks like he's getting ready. But it, it has been a long time, and, it, and it's a relief. And it'll be really interesting to see how this all plays out come February, especially when he's got to do it three or four times a week. I think that's right. Look, this is... It's, it's obviously way too early to speculate on what the songs will or won't be, you know, in terms of the tour. But certainly the man that appeared Saturday evening looks like he's ready for a straight rock and roll tour. <laughs> that's uh, that's certainly that was certainly the impression left. He really did seem on his game. And, and uh, I'm very pleased at that. And I know I speak for all three of us. <laughs> February can't come soon enough. That's true. <laughs> no, that's it can't. True. Well, thank you, Brandon. Uh, Brandon Shaw, that, that is, for coming on to talk about it. It sounds like it was just a it was a hell of a night, and the energy in the arena was 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 just buzzing. So, uh, thank you again for bringing your firsthand perspective on it. Thank you both. And keep us posted on your attempts to get Bruce for our show. We really <laughs> are waiting to hear about that. As you both know, you can't give me uh, ultimatums like that because they'll be delivered on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well. I tell you what, if you, if you deliver on that one, you can come on with us. <laughs> Duly, the bet is taken. All right. All right. Thank All right, you thanks, again. Brandon. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Take care, guys. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.
Once again, that was Brandon Shaw talking about Bruce's appearance with the Killers a couple weeks ago in uh, New York City. Yeah, that was good. I'm glad we had Brandon on. And and now we get to talk about something that's really excited a lot of people. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first archive that had never been previously bootlegged? And I'm talking about Atlanta, October 1st, 1978. Well, when you say bootlegged, I assume you you mean a fan-sourced recording of any kind. Is that yes. your question? And there was a recording. It was incomplete. It was only the first set. And to call it unlistenable would actually be kind. It was just horrible. I mean, I hey, you know, kudos to the guy or, or, or woman who did it, who tried to do it, but uh, just, just didn't come out for you. And so we're extra thankful to have the complete show and – and just this amazing quality. I think this one, this may be Altschiller's best mix of, of, of the whole series, or at least of, of the 78 tour. It just sounds, it just sounds so good. Yes, it does. This is this is a fabulous listen from beginning to end. And really, I, I wonder what their thinking is on these things. Perhaps you have some insight. 44 years, this is a show, as we were just saying, that really hasn't been heard before. Now, I would say starting when they did the archive series, Passaic, Winterland, we know they're going to get to those first because those are legendary, important shows. And as Brad Serling has said, they have found that the very notable shows have sold better than the lesser known shows. But what would be the reasoning behind holding on to this one for eight years into the series? Do Do you have any idea? I don't. I think, but I think you just nailed it. They wanted to hit the the radio broadcast first, hit those big five, and at a rate of one show per year, basically one darkness show per year. It took five years, and I, I guess the basically the first Friday program started in seventeen. So they got through those five as well as what three or three or four more, and so yeah, they finally got to this one and. Good things come to those who wait. <laughs> and and if it took, maybe it took Altschiller this long to to get very adept at, at mixing Bruce. Not to say his previous mixes didn't sound good, but this one comes out just, as I said, just pops out a little bit more. I don't think I've heard the drums, at least for a darkness recording, sound this crisp before. And Danny's organ, oh my God. <laughs> it is and, just And amazing. Steve's guitar. Steve's uh, guitar on Jungle Land is the clearest I've ever heard. Oh wow! Okay, I hadn't noticed that. I just I'm listening to to Danny's organ so so much that uh, I really it's almost like everything else is kind of fades away for me. And I mean, it's a screaming organ, especially on Badlands and Promised Land, and and then uh, the interplay between Danny and Roy on Kitty's Back because you got Danny in the left channel and Roy in the right. It just sounds just sounds tremendous. I mean, I'm sorry to keep just saying it sounds great, but it but this one it's a step or two or or five above everything else. And it's a scorching hot show performance wise. Now he comes out, he says it's the final night of the tour. Did we know that that actually was intended to be the final night of the tour? Because, of course, there was a whole nother leg that took place that that ended with the incredible run of December shows that we've talked about many times, including Winterland. Well, we got a little bit of that information when the Winterland shows were released by Nugs in, in the Backstreet's review. They talked about how that last leg was hastily planned, or at least uh, it wasn't originally in the cards for those those two months of November and December. 
So, but it, it, you're right. It, it was never like explicitly said that this was going to be the end of the darkness tour or that this was the last show or even that the, the Atlanta broadcast the night before was the second to last show. So yeah, that's kind of uh, that's a big piece of information to at least come out in that blatant way. And really remarkable because the tour started May 23rd and it was going to end on October 1st. That's only a little bit more than four months. And of course, we know he didn't go to Europe. He didn't go anywhere else outside the United States. But it just seems amazing that he was going to stop after four months when they were performing at such a high level. And it was such an important album for them. I don't know what the thinking was behind that, but clearly they made the right move by extending the tour <laughs> another six and a half weeks. Yeah, that was uh, pretty pretty fortunate for, for us. They were playing at such a higher level than uh, even in November, December, than they were even in September. And I think I read somewhere that maybe Bruce wanted to go ahead and start working on the next album, but because he obviously already had a handful of songs maybe ready to go. So I don't know if that was it or not, but uh, they definitely made the right choice. And oh, and there were rumors that they were going to go to go to Europe at some point, maybe in October. But right. obviously those didn't pan out. And, and but the Born to Run tour was only, what, four months, four and a half months, five. So it really wasn't that long either. That's true. Of course, they did get over to Europe for four shows there. I don't know. It's just remarkable, and especially if we look at it now from 2022, the <laughs> idea that Bruce would go out on the road for four months with the E Street Band. Uh, as we know, it is very likely that next year's tour is going to turn into multi-year. <laughs> that is true. I mean, especially after the even after the River Tour, which lasted uh, 11 months, and the USA Tour, which went what 15 or 16. So, hey, the Tunnel Tour really wasn't that long, uh, at least compared to those two. But but yeah. Four months, definitely not enough to, of a tour for this album. Now, I think we should talk about the set list a little, which is pretty unusual for the time. There were some other shows that also skipped key darkness pillars, like She's the One, Backstreets, and Racing in the Street. But when I listened to this one, it, it really did seem to have a different feel to me than certainly the major radio broadcasts that we're so used to hearing. Yes, absolutely. I think that's the... That's the one thing that keeps this from being, say, the the key representation of, of this tour. It sounds great; it's a great performance, but without those three songs, as you mentioned, it's 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 not the best representation. But I kind of chalk that up. I kind of chalk it up to um, the fact that it was the last night, and he was loose. He was ready, probably ready to go home, in, in some way, and. So he came out, he played some different stuff. He played three very unique and very cool covers in that first set last time, Heartbreak Hotel and It's My Life. And and then, yeah, had some fun with Katie's Back and Incident Rosie to finish out the, uh, the, the second set. So maybe it was just the last night kind of thing. Like he's, I mean, he's done that over the last 20 years, certainly, of the reunion era. That is true. And, and you did get, which he didn't do as much at the time, he certainly does now, there were a number of songs you heard him call out here. It's My Life, uh, Incident seems to be another one. So that was interesting. But let's go back to the start of the show. The last time, uh, that is scorching. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very fun. He They nailed it. It, it sounds great. Uh, really feeling it. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. And then, as you know, they came back to it on the real end of the Darkness Tour on uh, January 1st in Cleveland. 
and they played it again. So maybe that was the second to last time. Heartbreak Hotel, and I thought Eric Eric Flanagan in his Nugs essay made a very interesting point about the connection between Heartbreak Hotel and Factory, and, and Bruce does mention that in the intro to Factory, because you wouldn't necessarily think of Heartbreak Hotel in that slot between Darkness and Factory, but it, it really comes off as quite powerful, don't you think? Yeah, he, he had done it a few, a few times that summer in, in that spot, but what stood out to me, and I think Eric mentioned this as well, was that the version of the performance at the Roxy in, in, in July was a lot, it was faster, it would sounded more upbeat. Mm-hmm. And and this one it had has a much more bluesier feel, which I think enables it to fit so perfectly between Darkness and Factory. Yeah, that worked really well. And and I know a lot of people are talking about the intro to prove it, which is Oh man. <laughs> it is it's stellar <laughs> for sure. Now I don't do you remember many times where he counted into the intro? I feel like almost every time that I can remember anyway, maybe I haven't listened to every show from the from that from that tour. But I don't remember him counting into it very much. Do you? No, I do think that that was unusual, and I think it was symbolic of how revved up he was the entire night. He seems to be very energized here, not that he wasn't on other Darkness tour shows either, because, of course, we know this (laughs) is a very energetic tour, but it seems particularly high here. Yes, it does. And uh, along those lines, I've said on this show before that I always felt it was a little bit too coincidental that people consider the five radio broadcasts to be the best performances of the tour. And and you had said, well, Flynn, don't you think that he he brought it a little bit more when he knew it was going out to thousands of more people outside of the outside of the arena? And so it's so, but here we are. He, he's in a theater and there's no radio broadcast and he brings it hard. So I and I, I would consider this performance to be to be better, to be stronger than than I mean a lot of the other ones we've already heard, and that's saying something. Yeah, your point is taken. That This is a show that was heard only by the few thousand people that were in the theater. It's not a particularly large venue. No, it's and not. they were there to blow the roof off the place. <laughs> and again, I, I'm not sure how much more there is to say. I mean, I, we don't want to repeat what we're saying and what other people are saying because there is universal approval of this release. I, I don't know of a single person who has said, oh, we don't think that this one should have been put out there. And if, well, they, and if there is such a person, get some help. <laughs> That's true. Like Bruce said, uh, before quarter of the three, if you're not dancing to this one, slap yourself in the face because you're dead. <laughs> one, one thing I did notice, this, this was kind of interesting for the time, uh, picture it in the fall of 78. When he says, excuse me, in, in spirit, I'm like, damn, he's quoting Steve Martin there. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Well, and you did get, are you talking to me and <laughs> at the end of the show as well? So. Oh, man. Yeah, you, you got a lot of those those key little uh, little bits there. And it's just such an amazing show. And I, going back to looking at the set list now, because tonight, this may be the Phenomenal. best I've heard. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> It's like every song on the on in this show is is I think a candidate for for best ever. And of course, have you ever? I don't think there's been another show ever or prior where he did meeting into the jungle land and incident incident into Rosie in the same show. That was just like you nailed it all right there, man. I yeah. I mean, this is <laughs> again not to beat a dead horse, but 
you know, this is what I'm going to listen to over and over again. There's no question about it. Some of these I don't. And uh, this is certainly one of those elite ones, magical that they could put this out. And really, uh, if you think about the history of bootleg trading and, and our going, I used to go in the village and we've talked about this before. The idea that someone would have said to me in, I don't know, 1990, when I lived down in Greenwich Village, hey, you know, one day this show is going to come out and it's going to be $13 and perfectly mixed. It, it would have been unfathomable. <laughs> the only thing you can say is that the archive series continues to be fabulous. Of course, some months we disagree with the choices. Some people certainly are looking for more stuff pre-born to run. When I say more stuff, the first thing <laughs> from pre-born to run to be put out there's still a hole from 76 to 77, except for the two that they they put out five years ago. So nobody's saying the series is completely perfect, but man, it's a dream come true for the fans. Well, I think for October 2022, this is as perfect as it gets. Yes. And where do you think they're going to go next month? Well, I think, aren't we due for a magic show? Uh, yeah, that's possible. I think the, we're due for magic, we're due for Born to Run. I guess we're kind of due for a Joe show, right? I believe so. And um, yeah, something along those three. And looking, uh, unfortunately, we're going to be taking, I'm sure we're taking a pause uh, starting in February, but uh, I'm sure we'll get four or five shows before then. No, I not was thinking about five, it. More like three or more like three. Right. Th maybe yeah. four for lucky. I was thinking about it today and uh, what's left out there. Now, from the classic era, we're, we're getting close to where they're going to have very little left. There were a couple of other shows. Now, from more modern times, although to, to the extent that 1996, which is almost 30 years ago, is modern, <laughs> it still surprises me they haven't put out the third night in Asbury, which was a magnificent night. Bruce was joined by Steve. That was my favorite of those shows. They've only put out the first night so far, which was a a bit of a wild card when they did that. And and other than that, I I know some people want to hear Nashville 2008. That some was a great mean, show. Meaning, meaning you. <laughs> yes, but there are other people who want to hear that one as well. Yes, it's a it's, and, yeah. I've, I've obviously listened to the audience recording. But I I don't think that that rises to the level of something like. Asbury 96, the third night, which which was a very important night, I think, for him, what took place in the encores and 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 very special. Can you think of anything else that's hanging out there now that we've gotten this one? There's a third night in Passaic hasn't been released yet. Right. There's probably one or more one or two more multis from like July. Maybe Phoenix was recorded in multi. Um, maybe the other Berkeley show. Uh, we're still missing. Haven't released anything more from the tower in 75. I was kind of expecting right. that. And I thought there was another show, another one or two shows recorded in December for that live album, which obviously didn't happen. I don't know the Oswego, I think, in Toronto, maybe. I don't know exact exactly which cities. And then obviously one of the we have a couple more at least of the New Jersey 81 shows out there. So uh, there are a few more. I mean, the only bad thing is that the New Jersey and London shows from 81 are going to be pretty similar. And I think that's all they have. As far as we know, well, that's as, as far as we know, that's uh, all they have left uh, other nights from Jersey and, and London from that from that tour anyway. Well, the one major distinction from Jersey 81 will be 
a show with I don't want to go home. Yeah, right. I know. But but beyond that, I think that that should be the next 81 release. Uh, of course, I don't know when that's going to be, probably, because uh, would, it would be due in, in the new year at some point. But obviously, as I said, they're going to be pausing, hopefully pausing, <laughs> to release every show from, from next year. All right. Well, we're clearly going to have a lot to talk about. And coming up fast is the release of the new record, Only the Strong Survive. Before that, we're going to get to our next episode where we're going to take a look at Board in the USA. And with that, I'm going to wrap things up. Number the Brave is a presentation of Bull Market Entertainment. We're on Evergreen Podcasts on the web, numbutthebravepodcast.com, and on Twitter at NBTB Podcast. So thanks again to Brandon Shaw for joining us. And for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.